Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Dr. Jared Brown is back today. Welcome, Dr. Jared. How you doing? Thanks for having me back. Honored to be here. Glad you're here with us. He is going to talk about blood sugar dysregulation. Now, I am really excited about this topic because I've definitely seen a lot of this in my kiddos and in other kiddos that I've worked with, and I'm just going to let you take over, and I am ready to take notes. Absolutely. So everything I share today, um, just make sure if you're wanting to maybe start really looking at this in your child's life, consult with your healthcare provider first, because mm-hmm. this is this is a pretty heavy duty topic, first of all, but I've been doing a lot of work in this area in terms of developing more trainings, going on different uh, podcasts, and really talking about blood sugar dysregulation through multiple lenses. And we all deal with this on some level. So when you think of like disruptions in one's blood sugar, it could be hyperglycemia, our blood sugar goes too high. It could be hypoglycemia, where it goes too low. Or it could just be like up and down fluctuations of your blood sugar levels throughout the day. Now, I think a lot of people always think that maybe this only applies to people with diabetes, but mm. if you skip a meal, like if someone has a tendency to always skip breakfast, that can have an impact on blood sugar levels absolutely can make it go lower. If you're someone that has a lot of soda through the day or lots of candy and just lots of food that's loaded with carbs and sugars and things like that, that can spike your blood sugar and then it can crash you. So it can have a profound impact on your mood, on your energy. There's a million things that can impact blood sugar levels. I mean, stress. So if you're dealing with a ton of stress, so think about COVID-19 the last few years, there's Mm -hmm. several studies that point to the fact that COVID-19 related stress, the lockdowns, all of these things have contributed to more sugar intake, more fast food, more problems with mood swings. Think about the person you're working with what was their stress level like before COVID, during Mm. and after? So stress is a big part of this. Chronic sleep deprivation can absolutely negatively impact your blood sugar levels. 
if you are dealing with someone that just eats the Western diet consistently, so that's basically someone that has a tendency to really maybe eat a lot of fast food, a lot of processed foods, maybe it's a lot of gas station foods, lots and lots of microwavable foods, that can have a profound impact on blood sugar levels. Over-exercising can impact it. Under-exercising, so if you work with people that live a sedentary lifestyle, that can adversely impact our blood sugar levels. Low-grade dehydration, there's studies on that as well. So there are plenty of cases I've consulted on where the client just never drinks water, and I suspect they're probably dealing with some level of low-grade dehydration. They seem to rely a lot on like sugar-sweetened beverages and coffee and things of that nature. And we want to be aware, too, if someone has a drug or alcohol problem, being aware again if they're constantly skipping meals Mm -hmm. or maybe they're overeating. There's a couple cases I've consulted on where people would have a tendency to go to the buffet and have, I mean, literally like seven, eight plates. Just being aware of how one eats, what they eat, when they eat, how much they eat, all of these things can really factor into this. Though Those are just a few things that can contribute to unstable blood sugar levels. But the very nature too, if we're dealing with un, like unstable blood sugar levels, big fluctuations in our blood sugar, that can absolutely, without a doubt, adversely impact our mental health and our mood state. Mm. It's been linked to having more focus and concentration issues. It can absolutely contribute to someone having more feelings of like panic or feelings of being overwhelmed. And it's been linked to having more digestive health issues and a weakened immune system, just to name a few. So regulating your blood sugar levels, according to the research, is one of the best things we can do to help support positive mental health. Kathleen, I'm just going to stop for a minute and um, jump back into talking about how does self-control relate to this as well. But I want to see if you had any thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear about the self-control. But um, I'm just going to say, you know, I talked on the podcast last week. I was talking about a practical tip of meal planning. And I mentioned that you were going to be recording this with me. So I hope people are looking for that and listening to that today. But one of the issues that I see in our culture is because of the pace of people's lifestyle is so many families are going out through the drive through on the way to soccer, on the way to baseball, on the way to, and then it's causing all of these issues with their kids of irritability, anxiety, all of those things that you're mention, mentioning, I have seen. And it's, it is a struggle. It's like it's a, a difficult thing to balance. And then another thing is, and I'm sure you'll talk about this, but kiddos with FASD or any other neurodiversity often don't, don't even recognize their own body's signals for thirst and hunger. And they're walking around, like you said, slightly dehydrated. And so what do they reach for? They want a snack that is a sugary drink or they want um, a snack that is like a candy bar or whatever. And then the next thing you know, they're even more irritable. So those are things that parents struggle with, I know, on a daily basis because how do you address that? 
Man, it gets it gets tricky, but what I will say is if we look at the research on this, when we're talking about like low glucose levels, so like hypoglycemia, when our blood sugar levels dip too low, mm-hmm. there's a lot of studies that have looked at this within the context of increased aggression, mm-hmm. irritability self-control problems because glucose is metabolic fuel we need glucose our brains that's the fuel for our brain so just think about if your blood sugar levels get too low your brain is not getting enough fuel and if your your brain's not getting enough fuel that is one reason why problematic behavior can happen because we're more likely to give into impulses we're less likely to be patient. And in conjunction with these things I'm talking about today, you'll find some studies that talk about how this can adversely impact serotonin levels, executive functioning capabilities, and all of these things under the right circumstance. And if that child or teenager or adult already has some sort of underlying brain-based impairment and they don't have good coping skills in place, they're not going to be able to make sense of what's all going on in their body. And they may become much more irritable. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you might see full-blown rage in some ish, some cases. Now, I'm not saying this applies to everyone that has like behavioral control problems. But I wonder what would happen if anyone that works with a child or teenager or adult who does have a long-standing pattern of behavioral control problems, rage control issues, anger, aggression, even violent behavior, to really understand the importance of helping people learn how to regulate their blood sugar levels. Because if we can regulate our blood sugar levels, our thinking is typically better, our Mm -hmm. mood is better, and we typically have better self-control as well. So... Those are a few things to think about. But if we were to put our self-control hat on right now, think again. If your blood sugar levels get too low, our brains don't have the adequate fuel to maybe help us have good self-control. And if we have low levels of self-control, we're much more likely to engage in risk-taking behavior. We're much more likely to be temperamental and short-centered and short-sighted and we can just come off as much more moody when we have greater levels of self-control the research points to the fact that we're in a much better position to manage our emotional mood state when we're under stress higher levels of self-control actually have been linked to making better food choices and habits as well And people with better self-control are much more likely to engage in exercise than people that have low levels of self-control where they might be more likely to engage in sedentary behaviors or go on the internet and not even think about the importance of just getting movement and getting outside, getting fresh air. And all of these things we probably see on a day-to-day basis with your children if they have some of these issues or if you're a professional that works with clients with these issues. But what happens is most of us have never had training in blood sugar dysregulation in our school programs. A lot of this, what I'm talking about today is really me seeking out different trainings, reading the literature and just a lot of self-taught kinds of things. But we need to get this into school programs, in my opinion, 
into the criminal justice system, into the mental health arena, because it does play a huge role in maladaptive behaviors. Mm. It plays a huge role in our behavioral control. It can be a factor in people having less patience. So if you ever have someone that you work with that just is never patient, Mm -hmm. they just can't seem to put on the brakes and pause and reflect. And if you ever work with someone that just has up and down mood swings, be on the lookout. Blood sugar dysregulation could be a factor that maybe is not necessarily considered all too often. So few things just from that self-control lens, Kathleen, but I'll kick it back to you. Well, and I think it becomes a vicious cycle because if you have a child that is um, has glucose issues, like they plummet and then they eat the sweet thing or, you know, like you said, in the school system, they really need to learn this because if they're not being fed properly nutrient-dense food, then they continue that cycle throughout the day and and then they get home and the cycle continues. So then the sedentary lifestyle and then the gaming and then that, you know, it just becomes a really vicious cycle. And one of the things that I had to do with some of my kiddos was just actually set a mental timer for myself like every two hours. You need to drink some water. You need to have a snack because they were not able, some of my kids were not able to recognize that they needed something to eat. And I'm talking about an apple and a handful of walnuts, not something sugary. And yeah. um, it's so important, but it's there's this big mental battle for parents is... Do I stay current with what the culture is doing? Like you always have to have a Gatorade or you have to have a Powerade or you have to have a this. Or do I step back and really evaluate what does this particular child need right now? And that's, that is a big struggle. And especially the kids, well, we want this snack or we want that snack or we want the sugary cereal. And I think I had, I'll tell the story again because I think I didn't tell it on the podcast. I just told it to you when we finished recording last time. my um, Six of my grandkids were staying here for a couple days while my daughter was out of town at a convention. And my husband's like, let's give them a treat. I'm gonna buy them some sugary cereals they never get to eat because we just don't do that. Oh my goodness. Okay, so a half an hour after we're eating this sugary cereal, which I didn't have any, but my grandson, Ned, who is five years old, he ate some Lucky Charms, mostly the marshmallows, and his heart rate was through the roof. He could not calm down. He could not regulate. I took him into my room and we were sitting on my bed and trying to do some calming breathing and he was just like, it won't stop, Nene. Like he was feeling his own heart like it won't stop. And so I was like, never again are we getting those that cereal because we normally cook like a big breakfast and have some protein, like some eggs and then have some bacon. And, and that's just our norm. And I know a lot of families are eating those sugary cereals every morning for breakfast. And I can't even imagine this, you know, Ned. We finally ended up taking a walk and that helped him. But... Oh my goodness, just to watch him go through that and suffer through that. It was awful. 
It's a tough thing, and I feel for parents. I mean, when I was a kid, I ate that kind of food all the time. It just you didn't know any better, and a lot of parents obviously want to give kids things that taste great, and kids love these things. But mm-hmm. is it helping their brain and body? And the argument is, we're talking high levels of sugar, but on top of that, what about all the processed ingredients in there, the dyes? Mm-hmm. All of these ingredients you, you can't even pronounce. So, and if you believe what this research says, I mean, it, there, there's an argument to be made. If you are raising a child that has any kind of special needs, consulting with a nutritionist would be extremely helpful. And it might be an intervention worth trying on top of the other services that you have in place. But it also plays into caregivers' roles in terms of modeling the behavior. Mm-hmm. And if a caregiver is always eating really processed foods, fast foods, junk food, sugar, sweetened beverages, energy drinks, that absolutely can impact their health and maybe be a factor that exacerbates parental burnout in some cases. So take that into account as well. Because again, the, the research is pretty clear on this. Let's just say young preschool kids who have low blood sugar levels, higher levels of irritability, agitation, their behavior can be erratic all over the map. You might see more extreme temper tantrums. Blood sugar dysregulation has absolutely been impact, can impact sleep health. And we know that sleep, in my opinion, is number one to health. Mm-hmm. And we know that most kids with a neurodevelopmental disorder do deal with some sleep-related issues on some level. Right. So a lot of this stuff goes hand in hand. It's not just it impacts one area. And if you look at just some of the mental health literature, erratic blood sugar levels have been linked to higher levels of depression as well. So, mm-hmm. And if we look at this through a central nervous system lens, and we talked about the brain, but we know that let's say kids with FASD, they all have central nervous system dysfunction because of prenatal alcohol exposure. And glucose is the main fuel that our central nervous system uses to operate effectively. So if we're constantly spiking and crashing our blood sugar levels, someone that already has underlying central nervous system damage or weaknesses or irregularities can make it even worse, which then can trickle down into more externalizing behavioral problems. These could be extreme mood swings, aggression in some cases, things that just don't make sense and it can erode their self-control. So I I think there's a really strong argument to be made incorporating this information into more of a holistic, multidisciplinary approach to helping that individual thrive in life. And I think this is one area that's often not ever considered, in my opinion. Right, I agree. And I think it, like you said, it's very important for the caregiver to model this. And I think that you're giving your children or the children in your care a gift if you teach them about nutrition and how to feed their body properly and at the right time. I know in, in my family, my, my mother was kind of like the odd mom out because we didn't have sugar. We didn't have a TV either because she thought it would rot our brains. And so we were kind of, I was kind of like the odd girl out at school a lot. But I have taught my kids the same things that my mother taught me. 
And now that my daughters are adulting and having children, they're finding that a lot of their peers were never taught how to prepare food, what, um, what food groups they needed to eat from, how much they needed to feed that, you know, those sorts of things. That's a gift. If you can, like, I'm just saying, listener, if you are listening and you're like, oh my, my goodness, we drink sugary drinks. We go through the drive-through every day and you want to make a change, start small and begin to adjust your own eating habits first and then begin to teach your children because it will be a gift to them in the future. Because we see, I mean, how many weight loss things do we see all the time? Like all of these advertisements for supplements of weight loss for people who were chunky when they were little because they didn't learn or they didn't know what kinds of things they should eat. And they're just following that pattern of unhealthy eating in their adulthood and they want to change. That's a very good point. And if we're looking for a quick fix, there's usually not a quick fix right. with this. It, it's right. a process. Yeah. And again, just think about what we put into our bodies. It has an impact on our brain, our body, our cells. If we're constantly eating things that are just full of sugar, look at the sugar research literature. You will find hundreds of studies on the negative effects of eating sugar at high, high levels. Now, by no means am I saying if someone has like fast food here and there, a soda here and there, I'm talking more like this is what you have all the time. Right. It can have a really profound impact on brain and body functioning. And if you look at this through a behavioral lens, you find tons of studies that talk about mental health issues, behavioral control problems, executive functioning issues, anger control issues. This is a big deal in my opinion. And as I dig deeper into the topic, I'm, I'm convinced that this should be a foundation of any treatment program. If you're working with a child or an adult with mental health problems, any kind of behavioral problems, and even in the criminal justice system, just gave a talk the other day to a bunch of criminal justice folks, really stressing the importance of learning about blood sugar because there's several studies too that show that blood sugar dysregulation may be more common among domestic violence offenders, mm. homicide offenders, arson offenders, the list goes on and on. We're all impacted by this on some level. So it has implications for all of us. And if we can learn how to manage our blood sugar levels, and again, doing it in conjunction with appropriate healthcare provider and learning about the factors that promote health, learn about the factors we engage in that can erode our health, and then start making baby steps, we're going to be in a much better position to model this behavior to the next generation and hopefully help that next generation continue to carry this forward because it will make a difference I think in their day-to-day -day life right and I think that modeling like you said is the first thing but I think that educating anybody who's dealing with a or raising a child or working with a child who has some neurodiversity is extremely important because the child if you listen to the child they're going to say I need the sugar I need the candy bar I need the drink. And like you said, once in a while, that's fine. But the child is not, should not be in charge of what is being 
offered to them all the time. I mean, I, I really truly believe that you should give the child choices. Like, do you want French toast or pancakes for breakfast? You know, I think that children need to learn how to make choices. It's very important. But the choice shouldn't be, I want ice cream for breakfast because that's what I want right now. And I see that sort of parenting going on a lot. And then the parents are mystified that the child is melting down 10 minutes later or half an hour later, like little Ned was, like not being able to regulate it all. So I think that's important. And it's these things are very simple. And I like your suggestion of going to, you know, healthcare because we took our son to a trauma-informed pediatrician. And so we worked with her and then we also worked with a nutritionist. And he was much more willing to to listen to her say, okay, Rafael, this is what I need to see you eating every day. Then he was just, oh, it's just mom and dad are telling me what to eat. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. If you can hear it from another person, if you can model it, if you can start a support group and you're you're all taking this journey together mm-hmm. based on recommendations, obviously from that licensed qualified healthcare professional, it's going to help you. I don't know how it could not help you feel better, your child to feel better. Just think about after, if you eat a ton of fast food, how do you feel? Or if you have a really big organic salad that's loaded with all kinds of vegetables, how do you feel? Just ask yourself that. I changed my diet several years ago and I feel a million times different. I ate pretty bad years ago and I changed it to eating way healthier. And Mm. I, I personally feel way different, more energy, anxieties, way down, sleeps way better, moods better. But I have to be careful too, because if I deviate from that, I do feel not too good quite quickly. So just being aware of being mindful of that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, think about how do you feel? I read the book years ago. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a doctor. Change your schedule, change your life. And that's one of the things he asks his patients, like who say, I could never give up eating all those rolls with dinner. And he started asking this particular patient, well, just sit down and tell me how you feel 20 minutes after you eat all of that bread or all of those rolls. And she reported back to him, I felt really anxious. And so we don't often think about that, but I'm the same as you. I can eat really healthy and I'm doing really well and feeling great. And then if I get extra tired and I eat some junk, then I feel awful, yeah. you know, and it, I have to, what's going on? What's wrong with me? Oh yeah, <laughs> I need to get back on track. Yeah, you know, likely what, what we're feeling, most likely it's throwing off our HPA access, our hormones are off. It can mm-hmm. impact the gut, and that can all come together and converge and create more anxiety, irritability, mood, low energy, and blood sugar level dips, and and the list goes on. It's, it's complicated, but I, I tell you, if, if you learn about this stuff and you truly understand it and implement it again in conjunction with your healthcare provider, you typically feel better. You have more energy mood is not up and down and you're modeling that behavior to others hopefully it's helped rub off on other people right if you look at the research 
just in the last several decades, diabetes is way up. Cardiovascular issues, metabolic dysfunction, obesity in children, pediatric obesity. It's an epidemic. The research is very clear on that. So we got a long ways to go in our society. So if there's one thing that um, listeners could implement today, like, okay, I've listened to this whole podcast. This is all new to me. I've never even heard this. I don't know where to start. Where should they start? Talk to your healthcare provider about blood sugar dysregulation and see what they think. Maybe consulting with the nutritionist and really taking a step back and looking at your family's eating patterns and starting to really notice, are you noticing any patterns in your children in terms of their behavior? Mm. Are you noticing anything after whatever they eat? If it's takeout or fast food, are you noticing any mood changes, energy changes, motivation changes? Just be on the lookout for that. Maybe you might not notice anything. Maybe you might see patterns. And, you know, one other thing, too, increasing your health literacy and nutritional literacy is recommended in, in this research. Basically, what that is, learning how to read labels, mm. knowing what what you're putting into your body in terms of the ingredients. What does a serving size really mean? Because people are surprised to learn, like, if you pour cereal into a bowl, you're thinking that's one serving. You may actually be consuming two servings and not even know it. And you're thinking you're having 10 grams of sugar when in fact, maybe you're having double that and you didn't even connect the dots. Right. <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Jared, for being on the podcast again. You're welcome. Thank you, my friend. All right. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at trauma-informed parenting.com.